This is the American Medical Association's COVID-19 Update Podcast. This is part of an ongoing series featuring critical insights from the physicians and healthcare professionals on the front lines of the pandemic. Hello, this is the American Medical Association's COVID-19 Update video and podcast. Today, we have our weekly look at the numbers, trends, and latest news about COVID-19 with the AMA's Director of Science, Medicine, and Public Health, Andrea Garcia in Chicago. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer, also in Chicago. Andrea, welcome back. Um, Let's just start off with the big news. Uh, Yesterday, uh, a big development in the world of mask mandates, uh, particularly the national mask mandate for public transit. What's the news there? Well, yeah, let's, thanks for having me. And and let's um, talk about last week's news, which is the CDC extended that federal transportation mask requirement on airplanes, on trains and on buses and other public transportation hub. And that extension was supposed to be for two additional weeks. So it would expire on May 3rd. Uh, We heard Dr. Ashish Jha, who is the new White House COVID response coordinator, say that the the timing there was to allow the CDC to assess whether that BA2 subvariant was going to be a ripple or a wave in the US. And and so that would give CDC the time uh, to use that information to determine whether they needed to extend that mask mandate even further. Well, they didn't uh, turn out to have that much time, uh, a little wrench thrown into that plan. Uh, uh, Let's talk about the the decision in Florida uh, about the mask mandate. Yeah, so uh, a federal judge in Florida struck down the mandate that happened less than a week after the CDC extended it. The judge voided the mandate on several grounds and including the claim that the agency exceeded its legal authority under the Public Health Service Act of 1944. So because of that ruling, um, the masking order is currently not in effect for the time being. And we heard TSA officials say that they would not be enforcing it. Um, the, the administration is still reviewing the decision and is assessing whether or not to appeal it, but the CDC is still recommending that people wear masks in enclosed public transportation settings. I think um, this is an important decision because we know the Justice Department has noted that Um, Congress has authorized health officials to make and enforce regulations to prevent the introduction and transmission or spread of communicable diseases from outside of the country or within the country. And so this is another one of those examples where we're seeing uh, courts strip away that authority of health officials. And that has consequences for right now for the safety of people uh, using public transit, but it could have future implications as well. Yeah, it is uh, very confusing. And uh, uh, if you read through the opinion, big questions about what the word sanitize means uh, and other things that uh, when you think about uh, the timing of this could have been uh, even more significant uh, earlier in the pandemic. And as it is, uh, we've seen airlines act on this change in direction. How how's this going to work um, with public transportation, airlines going forward? Are some going to require it, others not? 
what's what's the way forward? Yeah, so it, it's leaving up to individual airlines and local transit agencies the decision of what to do. And some have been dropping that policy immediately, even mid-flight in some instances, while others have said they're going to keep those requirements in place for now. So we, we heard the major airlines uh, announce, so American, Alaska Air, Delta, and South, Southwest and United, they're all dropping the mandates effective immediately with masks now being optional for passengers and staff and Am Amtrak made a similar uh, announcement as well. Uh, have any companies announced plans to keep uh, mask mandates in place? So this is, it's changing really quickly and we're seeing more and more announcements come out. But as of now, some of the, the large city transit systems are planning to keep those mandates in place. So New York City, New Jersey Transit, the Massachusetts Bay Transportation Authority in Boston, uh, and, and then Philadelphia and the Chicago Transit Authority have also said they'll keep, keep that mask requirement in place. Speaking of Philadelphia, that one location where kind of moving against trend, but in recognition of the variant spreading, reinstated mask mandates last week. What's the, what's the rationale there? Yeah, they became the first major city to, to reinstate that indoor mask mandate. And that was in response to the sharp rise in cases there. Uh, they had their own guidance that they're basing decisions on. And so because that average number of new cases reported in the city went above 100 per day, and they saw an increase by more than 50% in 10 days in their cases, um, that was their, their guidance to go back to an, an indoor mask requirement except in cases where businesses require proof of vaccination upon entry. So we'll, we'll see how people respond to this and, and the impact on cases there, but also if other cities follow suit. Curated from more than 3,000 major newspapers, magazines, and journals, the AMA Morning Rounds newsletter delivers the top stories in healthcare right to your inbox Monday through Friday. Subscribe today and check out all the AMA's free newsletters at ama-assn.org slash myinbox. That's ama-assn.org slash myinbox. Well, uh, are we seeing uh, increasing cases and obviously broader geographic swaths than just uh, Philadelphia? So cases have begun to rise, and that's, again, after that pretty steep decline after the January peak. Um, as we've discussed over the last few weeks, that East Coast, uh, New York, New Jersey, are driving much of, of that case increase. But cases have more than doubled now since the start of the month in Rhode Island and in Washington, D.C. We're also seeing those case numbers rise here in the Midwest. So when we look at Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan, those cases are up 40% over the past two weeks. And so we also, we've talked about this before, we know that that's an undercount. We have more and more people relying at at-home tests, which are going unreported. So it's, it's likely those numbers are, are much higher than what we're actually seeing. I guess we'll have to wait uh, for a trail, the trailing indicator, so to speak, of hospitalizations. Is there any kind of movement there? So hospitalizations uh, remain low, which is good news. On average, we have fewer than 15,000 people in U.S. hospitals with COVID each day. That um, We haven't seen that number since the earliest weeks of the pandemic. So that continues 
uh, to be good news. And then of course, deaths in the pandemic are expected to reach that 1 million mark in the US in the coming weeks. Um, but I mean, I think the positive there, if you can find one, is that those numbers um, do continue to decline. Now, obviously, this uh, increase in cases uh, being driven by two uh, subvariants in the U.S. Uh, how concerned should we be? So, yeah, we're seeing reports of that there are two new subvariants, so BA.2.12 and BA.2.12.1. And those have both evolved from the BA2 subvariant. And we're seeing reports from New York State that that is contributing to their case growth. And then if you look at the CDC NowCast data um, on those variants, BA2 is making up 74% of cases, and BA2.12.1 is up to 20% of cases nationally. Um, and that BA2.12.1 is up to 52% of cases in the, in the Northeast, so in that New York region. Um, so far, those subvariants don't appear to cause more severe disease than the previous variants, uh, but they're, they're spreading really rapidly. So it's unclear if that's because they're more contagious or if they have an approved ability to evade immunity. I think the other subvariant that is worth mentioning is Omicron XE, which is a recombinant variant, meaning it combines that genetic material from BA1 and BA2. Uh, that's being reported in the UK and some other countries such as Israel and Thailand. And there are um, some infections in the US. Hawaii uh, has one and there are a handful of others reported in the country. I, th you know, I think we'll know more about these variants in the coming weeks. So definitely more to come there. Well, testing, you mentioned that before. And of course, a lot of home testing going on. Uh, but a little bit of news here could be a game changer is but the FDA, FDA uh, recently authorized a new way to test for COVID. What's, uh, what's the news there? Yeah, so FDA issued an EUA for what is it said is the first device that can detect COVID in breath samples. So the test provides results in less than three minutes. It can be carried out under the supervision of a licensed healthcare provider. So it'll be used in doctor's offices, hospitals, and mobile testing sites. It's 91.2% accurate in identifying a positive sample and 99.3% accurate in identifying a negative sample. Dr. Jeff Shuren, who's the director of the FDA Center for Devices and Radiological Health called device, another example of the rapid innovation occurring with diagnostic tests for COVID. Inspect IR is the company who makes the device, they said it's expected to increase testing by approximately 64,000 samples per month based on their current production estimates. I imagine uh, uh, given these subvariants, the boosters are gonna continue to be very important as well. Do we have any more clarity on who should be getting a second booster and who can wait? So over the weekend, Dr. Jaw said in an interview on Fox News Sunday that Americans over 60 should get a booster dose. Um, that's a second one. In the interview, he cited the compelling data from Israel indicating that that four shot significantly reduced infections and deaths among older people. And so as a reminder, the FDA did authorize that second booster for everyone 50 and older. So those younger than 60 can still choose to get a shot based on their individual circumstances. 
um, I think it's important to note that the Israeli study that Dr. Joss uh, referenced does not provide data on the effectiveness of that second booster dose in people under age 60. In a separate appearance on This Week with George Stephanopoulos, Dr. Jaw said that that second booster dose for people between the ages of 50 and 59 is a much closer call. So if you're in that age group, um, you could consult a physician before getting that second booster to see what their advice would be. But just also note that ACIP is scheduled to meet tomorrow. So we're likely to hear more conversations about that second booster dose then. Well, I did get the word out to my mom and she has gotten her second booster, uh, but still a lot of confusion out there about that. So thanks for clearing that up. Uh, final question, uh, any movement uh, on the funding for our pandemic response uh, was a little uh, tied up uh, last time we spoke. Yeah, there's no news on that front. Uh, the situation is getting more urgent. I think we've, we've heard uh, senators warn that millions of COVID vaccine doses that the US has already purchased to send abroad could expire because of that stalled funding. And we know this is critical because if we, um, if we don't expand that international access to vaccine, we're likely to see increases in variants. So as a reminder, um, Congress failed to pass that 10 billion funding package before they left for a two week recess. It remains unclear at this point when a vote on that stalled package might take place. But Dr. Ja uh, urged lawmakers to take up that matter as soon as they get back from recess. So we'll continue to watch and provide updates once they reconvene. Thanks so much, Andrea. That's it for today's episode. We'll be back with another COVID-19 update video and podcast soon. In the meantime, for more resources on COVID-19, visit ama-assn.org slash COVID-19. Thanks for joining us. Stay well. Subscribe to other great AMA podcasts available wherever you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thank you for listening.